Let us pray. Lord, we come before you and we pray that you would do what I can't. I can speak of you, I can read your word, and I can attempt to explain it. But Lord, it is only you that can change hearts. We pray that you would change my heart and the hearts of all of those who listen here today. It's in Jesus' precious name that I pray. Amen. So last week after the sermon, I was uh, with Sophia and we were talking about uh, how strange it is to uh, have these deathbed blessings. Uh, you know, this is not something that we do in our culture. Uh, we don't think about these sorts of things as, as, as a normal part of the end of life. Uh, but in this culture, they would gather uh, the people together, they would gather the children together, perhaps other people as well, and they would, and the person who was about to depart this world would give his blessings to all of the different children. And so uh, I was just thinking how, what I would do if I were in that situation, if this were a part of our tradition and, and you know, this is something that I wanted to do, what would I do? Well, I would gather Elise, I would gather Sophia, uh, hopefully Mandy would be there too and perhaps some other people and I would probably pray something like, God, I pray that you would bless these children and keep them and, and keep them faithful to you and use them for your glory and for your name's sake. I'd probably say something like that, Right? Because what, you, what I would do is I would be praying for what I wanted God to do in their lives. There is a difference between the blessings that we see often in Genesis and what Michael would do. Let's see if you can see what it is. Let, let's back up a little bit to a, another uh, uh, blessing that went on. And that was the blessing given by Isaac. So um, Isaac was old. He was about to die. He had, and he decided that he was going to have sort of a, a sneaky private little meeting with Esau. And he was going to bless Esau because Esau was his favorite. And uh, so he says, take your weapons, your quiver and your bow and go out in the, in the field and hunt game for me that my soul may bless you before I die. And so Esau was supposed to go out. He's supposed to bring back some game. Uh, Esau was going to be blessed. Everything was going to be good. And Jacob would be left out of the entire thing, uh, according to Isaac's plan, as nearly as we can tell. And um, during that time, Jacob acted as the deceiver, as you know. He was completely undeserving of any sort of a blessing, right? I mean, he was being a horrible person. And nonetheless... God, in his providence, used Isaac as a prophet. And so this blessing wasn't so much what Isaac wanted to have happen as it was what God wanted to have happen because he wanted to make sure that Jacob was blessed. A bit of time has passed, and now Jacob is the one who is giving the blessing. And his blessing is quite different than the one that he was subject to earlier. It's not some sneaky private meeting this time because Jacob, he calls all the sons together together for, for the ceremony. There is no deception this time. It's almost like Jacob has grown up a little bit. And perhaps instead of saying that he's grown up a little bit, maybe we could say that God has grown him up a little bit. 
Because God is the one who is ultimately responsible for the changes that we see in Jacob's life. Anything that is good that you see in Jacob is attributable to what God has done inside of him. So, there is something, however, in these two sets, in these two blessings that remains exactly the same. Jacob doesn't do what he wants to do so much as it is Jacob acts as the prophet of God. He acts as the mouthpiece of God. These blessings aren't something that he made up, but rather it's like God is speaking through him and he is talking to his sons about what shall happen to you in the days to come. And so this entire poem, this entire blessing is prophecy. First, there is Reuben, the firstborn. Assemble and listen, O sons of Jacob. Listen to Israel, your father. Reuben, you're my firstborn, my might, and the firstfruits of my strength. Preeminent in dignity and preeminent in power. Unstable as water, you shall not have preeminence because you went up into your father's bed and you defiled it. He went up to my couch. Does that sound like a blessing to you? You're not going to have preeminence. And why? It's because of all the bad things that you've done. You've been rejected. That doesn't sound like a blessing at all. And it, so generations after this, generations of little Jewish kids, generations of, of Old Testament believers and New Testament people, if you remember anything at all about Reuben, what do you remember? The terrible sin that he committed. He slept with his dad's live-in girlfriend, Bildad. That's terrible. And this is what he is remembered for. And more than that, he is counted to be as unstable as water. And so this is the first of what some people call the anti-blessings. In the midst of all of these blessings, these individual people sort of get anti-blessings, things that don't seem to be blessings at all, at least for them. And this, is, this one in particular is significant because he was the firstborn. He was normally the one who was going to be the great patriarch of the family. And nonetheless, he had been rejected by God. God said, no, you will not be the head of Israel. It's not the first time that God has rejected a firstborn in Genesis, is it? Simeon and Levi. Simeon and Levi are brothers. Weapons of violence are their swords. Let my soul not come into their counsel. O oh, my glory, be not joined to their company. For in their anger they killed men, and in their willfulness they hamstrung oxen. Cursed be their anger, for it is fierce, and their wrath, for it is cruel. I will divide them in Jacob and scatter them in Israel. So, as you probably have already guessed, this is, this is the second of the anti-blessings. There is apparently some time, not recorded in the Old Testament, where Simeon and Levi got really upset. They got mad at some oxen. And what did they go and do? They cut their legs so that they couldn't stand up. And those oxen would have fallen to the ground and died a slow, horrible, painful death. That's the sort of thing that they did when they got angry. But that's not the worst thing. Because not only did they use their swords on the oxen, they used the swords on people as well. There was that time, you'll recall, 
when they swung their swords in violence, when they used their swords against the Shechemites when Dinah was violated. And so, these are guys that are violent. You know, Reuben, the firstborn, he was not to be the patriarch of Israel, nor were his brothers, Simeon and Levi. All three of them were rejected by God. So far, there hasn't been a whole lot of blessings in this ceremony, it seems like. But even among these anti-blessings, do you know there's actually still some blessings? As strange as it may be to consider. Well, think about this. Who would you like to have as the head of Israel? If you're an Israelite, would you like to have Reuben as your head? No. He's as unstable as water. He is morally problematic. What about Simeon and Levi? Do you want to have a crazy person that every time they get mad, they try to kill somebody? Do you want that person to be the head? No, you do not want an incompetent person to be the head of your country. And so these three are rejected, and that ultimately is a blessing for all of Israel. And you know what else is a blessing? Their kids are still going to go into the promised land. Now, granted, uh, Simeon uh, is kind of a small tribe, and they kind of get absorbed into Judah, and so they don't really have their own land allotment. They are scattered, as this prophecy uh, uh, lets us know it's, it's going to happen. And then there's the tribe of Levi. What happens to them? Do they have an inheritance in the land? No. As it was prophesied, they have no inheritance in the land. But do they have something even better? They do. Moses says, the Levitical priest and all the tribe of Levi shall have no portion or inheritance with Israel. They shall eat the Lord's food offerings as their inheritance. They shall have no inheritance among their brothers. The Lord is their inheritance as he promised them. And so here, even though Levi was not the best dad ever, his children are greatly, greatly blessed by God. Even in the midst of the anti-blessings, we can nonetheless see that God is blessing his people. And God's people can always expect God's blessings. Was your dad perfect? Was he way, way, way less than perfect? I've had discussions with some of you here in this room, and I know that your dad was, that some of you had really horrible dads. Do you realize that God's grace can work in you anyway? That can change you? Can make you into something great and special? That's what he did with the tribe of Levi. Did you know, parents, that just because you're not perfect doesn't necessarily mean that your kids are going to be screwed up forever? Do you know that God's can still work in their lives and make them servants of him? There is hope for us who are not perfect and who did not have perfect parents. Zebulun. Zebulun shall dwell at the shore of the sea. He shall become a haven for ships, and his border shall be Sidon. And so Zebulun is definitely blessed. He is going to receive land in the promised land. It's going to be land over to the far west over there, right beside Phoenicia. And it seems as though his tribe is going to carry on some sort of maritime trade through the land of Phoenicia. And so it seems as though he is blessed not only in having land, 
but having children who are able to take care of themselves and prosper. Issachar. Issachar is a strong donkey crouching between the sheepfolds. He saw that the resting place was good and that the land was pleasant, so he bowed his shoulder to bear and became a servant at forced labor. Huh. And so what did happen to Issachar? When Issachar inherited, when the tribe of Issachar, I should say, inherited their land, it was a very lush land. Joshua 19 tells us that his descendants would be in Lower Galilee, and that would be the perfect place for farming, that would be the perfect place for raising sheep, and so they had great prosperity. But then what happened to them later on in the future? Well, just as the prophecy might have you uh, think, his descendants, much like him, were strong, but they were kind of lazy. They were strong, but they were kind of lazy. And they would not go in and subdue the Canaanites like they had been promised to do. And so ultimately, many of them were subdued by the Canaanites. They were blessed, and yet they rejected their blessing in disobedience. Dan. Dan shall judge his people as one of the tribes of Israel. Dan shall be a serpent in the way, a viper by the path that bites at the horse's heel so that his rider falls backwards. I wait for your salvation, O Lord. The tribe of Dan is going to be blessed. They're going to be blessed in two ways. They're going to be known for their justice. And justice is considered to be a blessing in biblical times. The idea that there is rightness within society and you get what you deserve that is a blessing now they are also going to be a very small tribe and it seems as though they're compared to a viper which is a small animal and nonetheless they will not be defeated because they trust in the lord and they wait upon his salvation they are able to turn back enemies that are much greater than they are and so they were blessed by god gad Raiders shall raid Gad, but he shall raid at their heels. And so Gad's inheritance, if you read on farther in the Bible, is going to be east of the Jordan. And so there is no buffer between them and the Canaanites who are farther on to the east, to the enemies that are farther on to the east. And so they are going to be subjected to attack later on in history. But even in that, there is a hidden blessing for this tribe. They would become great warriors in service to the great king whose name is David. And we read about that in 1 Chronicles chapter 12. Asher. Asher's food shall be rich and he shall yield royal delicacies. And so when you look at where their land is in the promised land, they got, they got some really, really nice places for growing stuff. They were famed, uh, this, this part of the land was famed for its fertility. You could just throw seeds out, it would grow. You could, you could you know, throw your, uh, your sheep and, and goats out there, they would thrive. It was the perfect place if you happen to be in an agricultural mindset. And so ultimately, they would be the ones who would provide food for the royal court of David the great king. And besides that, they had some good food for themselves, so you can't say they were not blessed. Naphtali. Naphtali is a doe that let loose, that bears beautiful fawns. Naphtali is a doe let loose that bears beautiful fawns. When you look at uh, the deer 
throughout the Bible, it is often associated with the idea of being sure-footed. It doesn't fall over easily. And so that seems to be what is going on here is that, uh, is that Naphtali is compared to uh, this deer that is sure-footed. It's, they're not the kind of people that fall over. They are the ones who are able to stand up in the midst of adverse, adversity. And more than that, they even have beautiful children. Benjamin. Benjamin is a ravenous wolf. In morning, devouring the prey, and at evening, dividing the spoil. And so their allotment in the promised land was going to be a war zone throughout most of Israel's history. There is a way in which this is definitely an anti-blessing. But once again, in the midst of this anti-blessing, there is a degree of blessing as well. Because they were considered to be great warriors. You can read about that in 1 Kings and 2 Chronicles in two places. They were the ones who were the protectors of Israel. And so there is a way in which they were blessed as well. And so when you look at these ten tribes, we haven't talked about two, but when you look at these ten tribes, you can see that they were all blessed in some way or another. Some were blessed more than others, but all of them were blessed. And if nothing else, they had a remarkable blessing just in the fact that their children were able to make it to the promised land. That is a blessing. And so it seems as though God is absolutely determined to bless this family. He continues to pursue them. He continues to bring them to repentance and faith. He continues to pour out his blessings on them even when they least deserve it. God's people can expect God's blessings. So what about the last two tribes? Let's talk about them. Let's talk first about Joseph. Joseph is a fruitful bough, a bough by the spring. His branches run over the wall. The archers bitterly attacked him, shot at him, and harassed him severely. Yet his bow remained unmoved. His arms were made agile by the hands of the mighty one of Jacob. For there is the shepherd, the stone of Israel. By the God of your Father who will help you, by the Almighty who will bless you with blessings of heaven above, blessings of the deep that crouches beneath, blessings of the breasts and the womb, the blessings of your Father are mighty beyond the blessings of my parents, up to the bounties of the everlasting hills. May they be on the head of Joseph and on the brow of him who was set apart from his brothers. Wow. That's a big, big blessing, a remarkable blessing. There is something that is very special about the way in which the tribe of Joseph is going to be blessed. Now, we have just been through the entire life of Joseph, and so this is something that's fresh on our minds. In this blessing that we are given, his, Joseph's entire life is compared to a war. A war in which he is continually attacked. A war between himself and all of these enemy archers, God's enemies, ultimately. And that seems quite appropriate, doesn't it? Think back to all of the different things that happened to Jacob. He was hated by his own family. He was sold into slavery and served as a slave for a long period of time. He was subject to unjust imprisonment. These people that he really, really helped in life ended up betraying him. 
It seemed as though nothing was ever going to work out for Jacob. It seemed as though he was never going to be blessed in any shape, form, or fashion. And yet, through all of that, he remained faithful to his God. And the attack of the enemy would not overcome him. He is compared to this archer who God makes his arm uh, strong and makes his arm agile so that he's going... Throwing out the arrows just as quickly as the blink of an eye. He is always able to stand up in the midst of all of this adversity. And then, finally, God begins to bless him. He begins to bless him and makes him the second most powerful man in the world. And honestly, there's a way in which he was really the most powerful because, let's face it, Pharaoh didn't have anything to do with running the daily affairs. You know, he was letting Joseph do everything. And so he was, there is a sense in which he really was the most powerful person in the world at that time. And so God blessed him, and then God also used him as a source of blessings for the rest of his family, didn't he? The wall. What is the wall? It talks about there's this wall, and, and Jacob is like this fruitful vine that goes over the top of the wall. The wall, most likely, is a line of fortresses that Egypt had built between them and the enemies off in Canaan. And he's like this fruitful vine that reaches over it. Now, what's going to happen in, 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 the, rest of, in the rest of this, this time? We've already seen how Jacob has brought his family to Egypt, and we know that they're going to be there for a while, and then ultimately they're going to enter into the promised land. And so it is though Jacob is the one who is being used by God to bless his family, not only in allowing them to live in the midst of the time of famine, but also in preparing them to go into the promised land. And so he is like this fruitful vine that reaches over the wall. He was blessed in order to be a blessing to others. Judah. I saved the best for last, though he is third in the list. Judah, your brother shall praise you. Your hand shall be on the neck of your enemies. Your father's son shall bow down before you. Judah is a lion's cub. From the prey, my son, you have gone up. He has stooped down. He crouched as a lion and as a lioness. Who dares to rouse him? The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet until tribute comes to him, and to him shall be the obedience of the peoples. Binding his foal to the vine and his donkey's colt to the choice vine, he has washed his garment in wine and his vesture in the blood of grapes. His eyes are darker than wine and his teeth whiter than milk. So, what happened to the first three? Was Reuben accepted? No, no, no. Reuben was rejected. What about Simeon? He was rejected. What about Levi? He was rejected. The first three male heirs were rejected. Now we come to Judah. And he is the one who is ultimately to be the metaphorical head of Israel. And this whole blessing, interestingly enough, is not even about him. It's about one of his descendants, one that would come long after him. Let's see if you can figure out who it is. Your brother shall praise you. Your father's sons will bow down before you to bow down and worship before you. You will be a lion's cub. 
you will destroy your enemies, including death and the devil. This person is later described as the lion of the tribe of Judah. He's going to be a great king, and he's going to have an everlasting reign. The scepter will not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet. What we're talking about is a king who is greater than David. What we're talking about is a king who is greater than Putin, that is greater than Biden, that is greater than any ruler that you have ever seen, for he is the one who will rule forever and ever and ever. The scepter will not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet. His reign is going to encompass the uttermost parts of the earth. To him shall be the obedience of the peoples. Plural. In his reign, wine, which is a symbol of blessing throughout the Bible, will be so common that you could wash your clothes in it if you wanted to. Can you think of all of the different times you see wine mentioned in association with blessings? It's mentioned in, this, in association with the promised land. And more importantly, it is mentioned in relationship to this everlasting promised land, this greater promised land that goes so far beyond the first one that is absolutely unimaginable. There is where there will be good wine, aged wine, and plenty of it. All of the good things that you could hope for will be in that promised land. And it will all begin with a messianic banquet. Quick plug, that's what we're talking about in Sunday school. So you might want to show up for Sunday school after church. So what we're talking about is this guy from this tribe of Judah is going to be the great savior of his people. He is the one who is going to bring the forgiveness of sins and eternal life to all of the peoples of the world, as many as repent of their sins and believe in him. He is the one who will be the great king. Now, when you're looking at chapter 49, you're looking at all of these different names, and you're thinking about Reuben, you're thinking about Simeon and Levi and Judah and all of these different guys, and you think about the people, the individuals, these 12 men. Is that really what this story is about? Is it just about these 12 guys? Not so much. Because what this story is doing is it's preparing you for something that is going to happen later on in this bigger story of the family. It is teaching you about the history of that which is to come. It is talking about what God is doing in the world. And we look at these guys and we think about the dumb stuff that we did. We think about the good stuff that we did. And we get all caught up in those sorts of things. We think about the blessings. We think about the curses of these men at this time when they were alive. And we fail sometimes to see the bigger picture. These men are not so important in themselves as they are important in relationship to what is to come. All of these things that they went through, these trials, these tribulations, these hard times, these dumb things, all of these are God building up his people, build, setting up, out for himself a chosen people that he is going to bless and that will be faithful to him. These men are important in relationship to who they were in history, in relationship to what God is doing in the world. Isn't that remarkable? Now, I want to do something. Close your eyes for a second. 
and think about last week. What is something really, really good that happened last week? Perhaps you can think about, uh, you know, something that went really well at work. Uh, Maybe uh, you got something done that you want to get done. Uh, Maybe you can think about uh, some good times you had with your spouse. Maybe you can think about the fact that your kid just made it to state. Mine did. And so there's some good things that happened last week, some things that we would count as blessings. What is something that you can think of that was a blessing from last week? Now, what can you think about from last week that didn't go so good? Maybe you could think about something that was almost more of an anti-blessing, something that seemed like it was horrible, some sort of a terrible problem. Uh, Maybe you uh, didn't get something done at work. Maybe you had to deal with a really really irritating person at work. Maybe your kid got sick and has a fever of 103. Mine does. And so last week, I can think of things that are really good and really bad. There are both blessings and anti-blessings. Okay, you can open your eyes now. Do you realize that we often get caught up in the details of our lives? These things that we count as blessings, these things that we count as anti-blessings, and that's where our whole focus is. Now what I want you to imagine is this. Maybe the things that you go through, the good things and the bad things, are part of something that is far bigger than you are. Perhaps God is still working among his people. Perhaps he is going to use you and the bad things that happen to you as well as the good in order to accomplish his purposes. You see, God's people can expect God's blessings. And it may not be taking the form that you want it to take from day to day. But let me tell you, God is working in you and will continue to work in you and will continue to work within your family as well. Isn't that remarkable? We serve this God who has chosen to make us characters in his book. He is using us to do remarkable things. There are times when it's going to be tough, but you also have to realize that you are going to be able to, that you're blessed to be a blessing. You're going to be able to take these things of your faith and you're going to be able to pass them on to another generation. So you're going to be able to take your faith and you're going to be able to tell it to others so that the people's of the world would bow before the great king of Judah. Your destiny ultimately is to enter into the greatest of the promised land and to bring others with you. So no matter what else happens this week, good or bad, remember that God's people can expect God's blessings.